Hello and welcome back to Box to Box Euros edition. The quarterfinals are set. It feels like we did our preview podcast not too long ago, which is kind of funny. Um, but I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, joined as always by Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you? Good. Um, looking forward, I think, to a day without football today. I'm ready for like we've we've gotten to that point of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And today, Abdullah is traveling to England to come watch the Euros with us. And for this episode, we are joined by returning guest, Amy Ruskai. Amy, how are you? Good. Melting in the heat wave. Can I just say that Amy's wearing a hoodie as, yeah, as well, she says that? We've, oh, you're going to expose me now. I did get in at 2 a.m. from the Italy game last night. So I am in my pajamas. So I was like, instead of coming on the zoom in my pajama top I'm gonna have to put something over it and the only thing I could find was a hoodie so but like maybe I'll lose like a stone in weight or something just sat here like a sauna just sweat it out that's the aim exactly getting my summer bod on and the group stage has come to an end and we have four tasty well at least three tasty quarterfinals um what has been a quick question before we get into actually analysis what has been the team that has impressed you guys the most and the team that has disappointed you the most? Jesse, let's start with you. I think a team that has impressed me the most, even though they didn't go through, was Switzerland. I think because I just expected almost nothing from them and the fact that against Netherlands and Sweden, they they were able to get back into a game. And I think there are lots of smaller teams at the Euros, who it's felt like as soon as they've conceded, their heads have kind of gone down and it's felt like the games have just got away from them. And, and I mean, I say Switzerland, I feel like it was mainly Ramona Backman, who she's obviously got like a lot of experience, but it just felt like when they did concede, she was like, no, right, like, let's let's go, let's go. Um, and I expected almost nothing from them, to be honest, because they had such an awful run up to the tournament. Um, so I kind of feel like some credit's due there. Team that has disappointed me, it's got to be Iceland. I expected so much. I, it was there. It was all, all the pieces were there. They just didn't take any of them. Take any of them. And it was just so upset. It was so deeply upsetting to me, basically. Amy, what are your answers? Um, different, actually. Uh, I would have picked Austria, the, the team that's impressed me the most. I think that Irina Furman's like a really smart coach. Like every time her team comes out, they just seem to have that game plan. They all know what they're doing, which I think is really impressive. Plus they have some really good players that I think people forget. And then the team that's disappointed me, it has to be Italy. We don't have to dwell on it too much because I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit. But, oh, I mean, I wrote a big article about how they were dark horses and then they got knocked out in the group. So I'm feeling like... Won't someone think of the journalists? Honestly, I know. the amount of us that just said, oh, Italy, Italy, and then they, yeah. Ooh. Think about reputation, Italy, please. <laughs> Jeez. Our, I think our credibility sometimes on this podcast gets away from it because I also did hype up Italy. Um, and then look what happened, clearly. Listen, if you if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win the raffle. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just the way it goes. Okay, Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, should, should I remind everyone that Jesse said that France wouldn't make it out of the group stage? Let's not. <laughs> I'm editing this episode, so don't worry, I'll, I can cut. I can cut Jesse, if, it, if it makes you feel better, I really said it was my chest in a press room in the Ellen Road game. 
the England Netherlands really said it with my chest like no France could easily not get out of the group like they could just implode and I don't know what possessed me to be so forthright with it in a room for the people that this was the first time meeting me but <laughs> it's all right I'm in that I'm on that sinking ship with you first impression but let's get into rounding up the last group stage matches well the, the order of this is a bit weird. I've, I've gone group A, group B, group A, group B, um, kind of all together. Anyway, I'm just saying don't expect any sort of formal order to all this. Um, but Austria won, Norway nil. Norway unable to score yet again, and Nicola Bila headed Austria through to the quarterfinals. And I think I know one person that said Austria was going to go through over Norway in the group stages. Uh, but Jesse, expect from this match maybe given how Austria have been playing the lead up to this and obviously Norway as well I think I always felt that Austria had the better chance once it got down to this final game I think I know Norway like flew in their emergency psychologist but it always felt like it was going to be a very big ask for them to get to come back from from the 8-0 not only because it meant they had to win rather than whereas Austria just needed a draw but also it just felt like that match obviously was just kind of such a decimation of of everything they were supposed to be doing in the tournament and it's very hard I think then to like pick yourself up and and try and like run your game plan again and we've seen Austria I think especially in that England game how well organized and well drilled a team that they could be and it felt like Norway were always going to struggle to to break that down because we've kind of seen how much England struggled to break it down and basically that's you know, I was at the England game, so I kind of only had one eye on this, but I was just looking at like Norway's shots on target. And I think it wasn't until like the 80th minute they had a shot on target. And I was just like, this is so, so bleak. But yeah, I thought, you know, kind of watching it back, Austria just seemed so well organized. I totally agree with what Amy said previously. It just feels like they know exactly what they're going to do in a match it's really well planned and then they just execute it really well. And it's the kind of thing that sounds simple, but it makes a, it makes a difference in, the, in these games. We know that not every manager has a game plan as, as nicely set up as that. Um, but it was, I felt after Austria scored the goal, Norway just put their heads down and, and they kind of psychology behind everything, just kind of, they knew that it was going to be a tough task considering how they've been playing. And I think players are experienced to know, enough to know that, it's just not going to happen after after one point, after you haven't scored an X amount of time. They kind of knew that it was, you know, almost impossible to come back from it. But Amy, I think we all had Norway going through in, in our brackets. Um, can I just say that we're the three of us are in a bracket together and, and none of us put um, Austria going through. Um, but what was the, you know, the ultimate biggest letdown of their performance in this tournament? I think they just, I mean, we've kind of, talked about this and I, I noticed it going into the tournament but their defence just doesn't exist basically I mean they don't really have any fullbacks they have Mara Mielder who started every single game at this tournament having started one game for Chelsea all season like which is crazy you, to expect a player to do that considering the season she's had with injuries and building back from fitness uh, building back from injury so they just lacked the personnel. And then I feel like the, I don't know. I know that uh, my Shogun tried to play a three at the back in the Tony de France, I think, or the Algarve Cup. They played the Algarve Cup in February. He tried to play a three at the back and the three at the back kind of masked the problems a bit. 
because you get more bodies in there and like somebody like Julie Blackstad, who's so good, but was just kind of left exposed in a position that she can't, well, not that she can't play, but she isn't naturally. But I think that maybe a three at the back of mask it, but then I think he abandoned that experiment in the Algarve Cup, didn't like it. So I just, I, I don't know. I think the defensive issues were just incredible. I mean, they were highlighted to the extreme in that England game, but they're, they're a very top-heavy team. And I think they just, yeah, they need to sort the the sort of pool of defenders that they've got to, to kind of balance out what could be a really good team. Yeah, it is disappointing when you see the names on it. and But even the big names, you know, like the Gurus, the Adas and the Caroline Graham-Hansons, you barely saw Caroline Graham-Hanson take on a defender in this tournament, which is really, really strange considering just how good she is at all that. But she, I don't know if it was confidence or just the way that they wanted to play. She, I didn't really see her kind of get the joy that she usually does running into space, um, except for those three nutmegs that we saw at the start. Um, but other than that, not much, not much else. Um, but Austria did finish with 18 total attempts on goal and Norway only had eight. Though Norway did see the ball more with 60% possession, but we know from Spain that possession doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, Jesse, looking at Austria again, what has surprised you the most in how successful they've been and how they've been playing? I think something that's kind of been interesting is before the tournament, when they, they were kind of doing their, their pre-warm-ups they were like playing out like quite slowly from the back and it was making me really worried for them because they were just seeing like so many high turnovers against them but it feels like they've become much more efficient in how they do that and I think also they've just been really good at focusing on on where their strengths are and I think this is why they're quite an interesting comparison to Norway because whilst Norway have lots of obvious strengths they're not very good at hiding their weaknesses whereas I feel like Austria have just been like so for example, they they don't like press super loads, but they really focus on kind of using their midfield to like get turnovers of the ball. And it kind of makes sense because that's where Austria's best players live, as it were. And I think it's just been that kind of intelligence to be like, okay, here's what we're good at. We've got a really good midfield. So we're going to kind of focus our energies on, on winning the midfield battle and then not worrying so much about, you know, everything else and and then kind of being able to say, well, you know, we've got Nicola Billa up front, you know, we're, we're able to kind of put those balls into, into her feet or onto her head and, and see what she can kind of make of them. So I think it's just been that kind of efficiency and planning. And then when you look at Norway, and it's like kind of what you're saying about CGH, Alex, it's just like, they, it feels like, I don't even know like what they're doing, but, you know, CGH is, yeah, amazing at running at players and, and taking them on. So, but then they've kind of got her in this, number 10 position where she just feels really awkward and like even though she's touching the ball she's not really getting it in areas that are very useful she's not very good at like actually putting other players under pressure from there I don't think I think that was something you know you really saw against England that like Kira Walsh has had so much time when naturally CGH was maybe the player who should have been doing a bit more then you know it's just all of for them it's all of these for Norway it's all these funny things of like it just doesn't it doesn't fit and it's it's really really frustrating to watch but I think yeah Austria have just been a perfect example of how it's like focus on what you do well and kind of mask the things you don't do well and, and that's how they've got success and obviously Amy Austria now have the tough task of taking on Germany in the quarterfinals how do you see them getting on against the German giants I think it's going to be an interesting one because there are so many Austrians in Germany like they they all play in 
from Bundesliga with so many of these Germany players and they will kind of know the the strengths and weaknesses of the players and little bits. You know, you, you talk to managers sometimes when they have lots of players in the league of the other country and, and they do tap into that a little bit and just adds little details to the game plan. And obviously I've gone over it several times now, like Furman is a smart coach. He knows how to put a good game plan together. So, I, I mean, I don't think they'll win. I mean, I don't think too many people will think they'll win, but Austria will think they'll win. Um, I think that's another good thing about them, that they have that confidence and belief and that sort of team spirit that you need to, to do well in a, a demanding tournament like this. But I'm interested to see what Furman's picked up to hurt Germany because I didn't watch the Finland game the other day, but I heard that um, they kind of got at them a little bit. So she might have picked up some, some things and I'm interested to see how they kind of take them on. I'm very interested to see how a Sarah Zadrozil versus Elena Oberdorf is going to go on in the midfield. Because um, obviously oppositioned in the Bundesliga as well for Bayern and Wolfsburg. Um, so I am very curious to see how kind of Austria match up to, to the German strengths. But going on in the same group as Germany, Denmark nil, Spain won. The match of death in the group of death. Or wh- what's your what's your word, Jesse, for group? Group B, group boring. Group, group boring. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. about all to play for in this match. And Spain waited until the 90th minute to secure the quarterfinal spot over Denmark. I was sitting at that and um, I got like almost dizzy from standing up because I, I just wasn't ready to, to celebrate a goal at that point. And it was just very off, off-putting a little bit. But again, Spain managed to outplay their opponents with 75% possession, but only managed three more shots on target than Denmark. Um, Jorge Villa came out with Lucia Garcia as a central striker yet again, um, this time moving Mariona centrally and giving Atenea del Castillo her first start of the tournament on the left wing. But then there's three changes at halftime. Um, and of course, Jesse, three different lineups in three different matches for Spain. What has been your... Sp- best Spain lineup out of the three? Um, um, I don't I don't think any of them have been great. Um, I feel like theoretically this one was still my favourite, but in practice it didn't actually offer that much. It's, it's, it's hard, right? Because you kind of want to lean towards the Finland game as being the best one because it was the best performance, but it wasn't really... Irene Guerrero like didn't actually really offer anything it was kind of basically just Mappy and Itana so yeah I, I don't think that I think what's weird is I feel like he should have just picked something and stuck with it even if it was Irene Guerrero because I don't think it helps anyone to constantly be like shifting all of these players in and out when and I also don't think it helps your players because it kind of like you're saying well we tried you and, and you you weren't Alexia Puteas, so now we're going to try you but you're also not Alexia Puteas, and it's yeah like no shit like none of them are going to be Alexia Puteas. so maybe you actually just want to figure out on building those relationships and, and figure out okay yeah so maybe Aitana is going to take on the the bulk of the creative work so so we don't need as creative a player there or you know yeah we wanted to try Mariona there but actually we would prefer her on the wing and I don't know even when like Athena was taken off in this game didn't really make any sense to me because I actually thought she'd been pretty good and, and was really bright and then it felt like he didn't really want to see that anymore so I think the thing that's annoying about when you watch Spain also like try these different things out is it doesn't really feel like Vilda's taking that much away from it like 
I don't know, it'll be really interesting to see because because I I know we're going to talk about the subs from it, but yeah, Olga Carmona I thought was really impressive. Um, but I still wouldn't put any money on her starting against England, even though like any logic would say based on that she should start ahead of Layla. And I think that's again when you like look at these different Spain formations, you're like, what is he trying to learn from this? Because that's what I don't that's what I don't understand. He's just here for the vibes, Jesse. He doesn't want to learn anything. Um, but yeah, as Jesse alluded to there, Jorge Vila Shaktasal, essentially, he made three subs at halftime against Denmark. Esther Gonzalez for Lucia Garcia as a central striker, Marta Cardona for Shele Garcia on the wing, and Olga Carmona for Leila Wahabi on that left-sided um, fullback. And you could see the positive effects the sub had. You know, Olga at left-back had a few chances very Garchawi style of late runs in, cut-ins and, and shots on target, but it still wasn't enough to score, obviously, until the 90th minute. Amy, what are your thoughts? We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but what are your thoughts? Maybe some fresh words as to why Spain can't score. Um, I've thought this for a while, but I just think they're too patient compared to, like, so obviously Alexia is not in this tournament, but I think it still applies. Thanks for the when reminder. they play the mid, sorry, when they play the the midfield three, the same midfield three as the Barca on the Patri, Aitana, and Alexia. Like if you watch them for Barca, I feel like they're not afraid to be a little bit more direct and kind of hit the wings and like, okay, let's play Graham Hansen, Luca Martins, you know, who if it's Ashwala up top or Hermoso, whoever. Even if it's Mariona on the wing, like when Bruno was playing before her injury, like, and people. I heard people say all the time, oh, Spain aren't as good as Barcelona because they don't have Graham Hansen or Schwala at Martins. And I don't think that's it because, like, they have a Tina, who's a great winger. Like, you know, they have people like Saliegi. Like, this is not... I don't think it's just because Graham Hansen is Norwegian that Spain aren't good. Like, they just seem... The midfield seems to be a little bit more hesitant to go that sort of direct ball or play a, a longer pass. And I don't know if it's something in the Spain setup where it's like, no, this is the way that we're playing or whatever. Whereas in Barcelona, maybe there's a little bit more freedom in the sort of instruction. Okay, yeah, if that long ball's on, play it. Let's get in behind. But I just don't feel like they have that sort of... And I noticed it in the Arnold Clark, like in every Spain game, once I kind of picked up on it in the first game, I was like, yeah, this is happening every single game. And that was with that Barca three and they just weren't finding it. And I don't know, I mean... Which is wild because it's not like Spain are trying to pass the ball on the back of the net because they're going out wide and putting crosses on the bo- in the box. So they are going direct in a way, but it doesn't feel like they're going direct in the, the right way in some sense. Yeah, that is fair. I was sitting on the left side. So I had um, Onabati in the first half and then I had um, Ola Garmona in the second half. And Ona, Ona gets the ball a lot more than, say, the left side because in the second half, I thought that... Ola Canmona was making really good runs and overlapping and underlapping. But then at the same time, because Mapi and Irene are pushing the defensive line so high and obviously the defensive line of the opposition isn't going that high. I mean, that staying that deep. So you, you're con- kind of like the space that Spain actually have to play is, is so, so little and it's very condensed. But there was a lot of times where I thought I would make, I thought I would make a really good run. Mariona would make a really good run. But for some reason, and I'm not saying it, it is because of Mapi, but Mapi would kind of open her body up to the wing, see the runs that could have probably in three touches, Spain could have been in the box um, because of all the good runners. But Mapi would kind of look at it, 
take another touch and give it to United Paredes again. And it just didn't make any sense in the in sense of that directness that isn't there because you have the players, you have, you know, Olga, you know, Marta Cardona, all these players are making really, really good runs. Even Aitana through the midfield, Mariona cutting in. They're capable of doing it, but they're just not giving those passes. And it is really frustrating and confusing to see why it's not happening. Um, but Denmark still had high-risk chances on their counterattacks, which is really nerve-wracking. Um, Nadia Nadim, for example, forced a big save from Sandra Paños at one point, and that this conversation could have gone the completely other way. Um, but Jesse, Denmark perhaps showed teams how to counterattacks against such a high defensive line that Spain has. Do you think that this would be a constant problem in the match against England? I actually missed that Nadia Nadim chance, which was like, because I went to the toilet, because I was like, nothing interesting happened in this game. I'm going to go to the toilet so I can leave straight away at the end. And I was like, oh, how, how did I miss the only like interesting thing that happened in, in that half? Because I was sat at that end as well. Anyway, by the way, don't go to the toilet during, during games. I was stupid. Uh, it's my own fault. Rookie mistake. I know. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of interesting seeing what England might have taken from these Spain games from, from a defensive perspective, because I actually think Spain have been like pretty solid defensively. Um, I think they've conceded like the second lowest shots on target other than England. But I think what is interesting, and um, Sid Lowe did an interview with Laia Alexandra in The Guardian about, and she kind of touched on this as well, is that I think what Spain have struggled with against Finland and Denmark is those kind of balls up to individual runners where maybe they're a bit exposed. You know, I don't think Leila ever provides great protection honor we know likes to get forward and then there are points where mappy and arena can get quite far apart so th then you can kind of put the ball in or put the run in there the thing that will be funny for england is england don't like aren't gonna play like that like they're not gonna play this kind of i would love to see ellen white trying to to run half the pitch <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. It's not going to happen, is it? And I guess, you know, maybe it will be interesting to see how Ellen White and Fran Kirby look in relation to each other, because that's the kind of thing that Fran Kirby's quite good at doing. Um, although, obviously, for Chelsea, she has scored goals like that, but she, she tends to do it, like, from the right. But, you know, the her goal in the Arnold Clark Cup, I know that was, like, just kind of a, quite a weird game at that point, but that, that was the same kind of thing of, of that kind of quicker, longer ball and, and just kind of running through on goal. So... I don't think it will be a constant problem for Spain in the same way, because I just don't think England will look to play like that. And I don't think they should. Like, I think they should feel kind of confident in, you know, in the past, they, they've chosen to cede the ball to, to Spain um, in, in previous games. And it's kind of worked out fine for them most of the time, with the exception of the She Believes Cup. But let's not talk about that. That was just an awful, awful tournament. Um, well, I mean, that was Alexia Podea, so it can't happen again, can it? <laughs> Yeah, but also England were just like absolutely dire in that game. And uh, so I don't I don't think they will look to do that. I think they will feel confident in, in keeping the ball. And I actually think it will be interesting. This will become a lot more, I think, about how Spain's fullbacks can perform. And that's why I think it will be kind of fascinating to see if Olga does start over Leila because Beth Mead against Leila could be like quite upsetting to watch, I think, um, from a Spanish perspective. Yeah, Leila Wahabi does not. Leila's a hard one. I think it goes down to the, the favoritism of, of players with kind of historic status on the national teams. And Leila's, you know, Jorge is kind of holding on to Leila um, because of what she used to be and not because of what she is now, which is not good enough to be in that starting lineup. But Amy, England versus Spain, how do you think this match will go? 
Um, I'm intrigued because both teams like the ball. They like to have it. They like to dominate. So somebody, either somebody's going to have to give that up and play a different way, or it's going to be like momentum's going to swing a lot. And, you know, I think there could be quite a few chances to counter. And, you know, I think it could be, oh, that's not me uh, waking up. Um, I think there could be quite a few chances to counter um, and I think it should be quite an open game because I think I don't think I can't see England saying right. Let's kind of be more reserved. Let's Spain have the ball and break. And I can't see Spain in a million trillion years doing that either. So I think it will be quite open. And I think that England look more sort of deadly on that counter just because they are more direct and willing to kind of just attack the wings and go go straight to goal so yeah I think it should be quite open um, and we'll see yeah see how Spain like being on the back foot at times they don't like that I think um, but, <laughs> but Jesse same question just a, a quick prediction for England Spain totally objectively obviously from an English perspective I am shitting myself but I do think this is kind of England's game to lose um, I just think they should have the the confidence and, and the ability to beat Spain. My slight worry is obviously Spain will have that like natural overload in midfield. But you know, I think also it's funny, like Spain have scored all their goals basically from crosses into the box and headers and Millie Bright's like literally won every aerial duel she's faced. So I don't think they're going to get anywhere near as much joy as they they did in the group stages with that tactic either. And then you're kind of like, well, where are Spain gonna going to score from like I mean they've always got players who can who can do ridiculous things obviously but yeah I, I think England if England lose they should be very like upset with themselves basically I think that's quite fair and talking about England they won 5-0 against Northern Ireland in the last group stage match uh, they continue winning and they continue keeping clean sheets Jesse not much of, of a surprise here in terms of score over Northern Ireland but the Irish side did get some joy sometimes which was quite impressive um, what did you think about them exploiting the English backline just a little bit? Yeah, I, I it felt like when they they did it well, it was just very much like kind of those quick balls over the top, and then having players run in, especially between that that gap between um, Rachel Day and Daly and Leah Williamson. Um, that felt like where it got them the most joy, but. It, it's so hard to kind of read things from this because I just felt like England started a bit slow, and I think that's also kind of understandable when you've like literally like gone through and you've I don't, I don't know like I think there's something about when you've played like Northern Ireland quite a lot recently and you're just like okay here we go again like we're gonna kind of slog for maybe like 45 minutes and then at some point we'll score and then then the floodgates will probably open and that's basically how this game this game played out but yeah I mean it was good I think for Mary Earps to have a bit more of, of something to do um although given Mary Earps's quality I am scared of like the chances she's saved because I feel like at some point the pendulum will start to swing back the other way which isn't entirely how statistics works but at some point people do revert to the mean and Mary Earps's mean isn't like particularly high but I think basically at this point in the tournament she's like been statistically one of the best goalkeepers which is good for her um and England but yeah I I think but again it's funny though when you're talking about Spain you're just like the joy Northern Ireland got is not a way Spain are going to play because they play so slow so it's a bit like well well, that's gone out the window. Spain are fucked, basically. <laughs> and Amy, with this momentum and confidence, 
is there any stopping England or were the knockout stages present the Lionesses with another level they haven't encountered before under Serena Vigman yet? I think they'll be okay with the level just because the players are good um, and they have that confidence, they have that momentum. Um, but I think it will be sort of you're getting to teams that are going to test you more um, and we have seen that weakness in that first game against Austria where you press the defence and suddenly you can get a few opportunities out of this England team. So um, I think as they play better teams, better coaches, they'll be tested in that sense a little bit more. Um, They'll come up against strikers and and forwards. They'll take those chances that are created a little bit more. Um, But yeah, I I, I think they'll be fine with the sort of step up of the level. It's just those, you know, the, the opposition, how they then take them on. Um, they have the capabilities to, to beat these top teams. It's just whether that weakness, which has been such a weakness for so long, like for going back to Neville, like if somebody can expose that, then they can get a lot of joy. That is fair. And Jesse, going into the knockout rounds, obviously we've seen the same lineup in the last three matches and you pretended to be a wizard, kind of guessing the, the changes um, to Zana. Um do you change anything from the lineups that we've seen in the last three matches going into the knockout rounds? I mean, I don't see why you would. Like, England have broken almost every record there is to break. Okay, the group wasn't the toughest in the world, but there were games there where they could easily have slipped up. Um, obviously, it is always a bit of a worry, I think, in terms of like how many minutes players have played. Like, I was surprised for how long Frank Kirby played um, or has played across the group stage, especially when she's coming to the tournament with a fatigue issue. But at some point you've just got to like, I guess, trust that they, the um, medical team feel confident in what they're doing. But um, putting that aside, there, there is no reason to change this team. Like it works very, very well. Amy, would you change anything? I don't think that Vigman will change anything, but I think maybe Russo deserves to start over White. I thought that she was really good off the bench the other day. I don't think Ellen White's been at her best, but then does Wiegmann kind of keep her in? You keep that confidence in your, you know, kind of starting number nine. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if it affects the team, like kind of fatigue-wise, if they haven't rotated much, especially when you think about all the other sort of top teams that went into the, the final games. You look at like Germany and how they rotated the Finland game, for example. Um, France rotated a little bit as well, like, It'd be interesting to see if it catches up with them or not. Well, at least their quarterfinal opposition, Spain, has the same problem. Um, obviously, the likes of Mariona, Mapi, Irene, Aitana, Patri have played every single minute of the entire group stage. So at least England, even if they do have that problem, Spain has it just as bad. So that's one thing. Going on to Germany, Finland nil, Germany three. Germany closed off the group stage with another solid win and another Alex Pop goal. Uh, Jesse, another team soaring in confidence and consistency. What is something that could potentially hurt Germany in the knockout rounds? I think it's probably the same kind of thing as England in terms of when you kind of come up suddenly against a stern test, whether you have the fortitude to either resist um, conceding or if you do like kind of go behind, how do you come back from that I think with from the England perspective I think they prepped quite well for that and the games they've played over the past 
you know, six to nine months makes me feel more confident about that. Whereas Germany, both because kind of the Arnold Clark Cup came a right off for them because of their COVID outbreak and then choosing to only have that one warm up game against Switzerland, it's kind of hard to be able to judge what might happen there. That being said, I think they've, you know, they've obviously got lots of like very experienced players generally. So you wouldn't be like, they're just going to like, like have a breakdown but you do see it happen to teams right in international tournaments where you know they go through especially when it's been a tricky group stage and you kind of feel confident but you know I do I do worry that that Germany I think against both Denmark and Spain were they were like good uh, and they were impressive but they were also in ways kind of handed their victories by opposition errors obviously you can't just you know, you have to force those errors and make, then make the most of them, which Germany did do. But I think it will be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to that Austria game because Austria aren't going to be the, the team that gives up those golden chances the way Spain and Denmark did for Germany. I think that's fair. And yeah, a lot of us had doubt to Germany how they would perform at the Euros, not really knowing what kind of team you would get. Um, a team that would live up to its potential or a team that has some of the best players in the world but hasn't quite learned how to play together yet. Amy, we've definitely seen Germany live up to protect to the potential, but how much did you expect this to happen? Um, well, I'm English, so I am born and bred to never underestimate Germany, particularly in a tournament. Like, I was just kind of like, okay, they haven't been great this year, um, but look at the squad. It's Germany and it's a major tournament. They're going to be fine. So... And like I think that 7-0 sort of battering of Switzerland was sort of right, okay, yeah, we're done with like the 3-2 loss to Serbia, the kind of Arnold Clark Cup that was like just a bit of a write-off. But we're kind of done with that. This is tournament mode now and we're good. Like, don't worry about us. We'll do what we have to do. And I just think the German mentality and just how... And also how good the players are. Like, the players are unbelievable. And I think that, like, if you've got someone like Linda Dahlman on the bench which you can't get into your midfield. And the midfield is also missing Leopold's and Marazan. And you still got one of the best midfields in the tournament. Like, their squad is unbelievable. And, yeah, I mean, never out of Germany. Can you imagine being 2-0 down and seeing Tavares Vazma, the new LeBrand, coming off the bench? That's insane. Uh, but although their attack is good, Jesse, Germany's defence might be their weak point. And they've done well so far to keep clean sheets in all three matches, particularly in the Spain match where they kind of sat back a bit more and, and were able to nullify Spain's attacks quite well. But is this the end of their clean sheet run? I wouldn't necessarily be worried about Austria scoring against them. I feel like if Austria are going to do anything here, it's going to be, you know, 2017 vibes again, and they're just going to grind out nil-nils and, and try and take teams to penalties. Because um, that's definitely where their, their strong point is. But I think Germany's defence has generally been impressive. And I think obviously, you know, there was not like not a question, but like I think we all knew that Lena Oberdorf was going to play a really big role in, in maybe shielding the, the deficiencies in that German defence. And and generally, like she's done that really well. I think Julia Gwynn and Feli, even my enemy, Feli Rauch, has been quite good. Um, and I think that's also helped protect the, those kind of German centre-backs. So... But again, that this kind of comes back to the the thing of I don't really think Germany has been has been tested at all. Um, obviously, Spain had kind of those two two good chances, but um, 
the the Mariona shot at least was was kind of just Mariona being very very good to get into that position and then but then the Lucia Garcia one was was more of a well you know is this a kind of kind of a worry but I think across three three games you're going to expect those kind of chances to come up so um no I think I think broadly Germany can can be quite pleased with how their how their defense is played I was I did um one of the Germany presses the other day, and it was Leah Kleinhorn, and she was talking about how much they enjoy defending. And I was like, this is so German. Like, she was <laughs> like, we really, you've got to, she was talking about when you're on, it was after the Spain game, she was talking about when you're on the back foot, it's difficult, sometimes it's difficult to like enjoy playing football, and you've got to flip that and kind of enjoy the defending and enjoy the ta- challenge and the task, and like, they enjoy absolutely grinding out to get a clean sheet and I just thought Jesus you're gonna win the tournament aren't you when you're when your focus is defending rather than scoring but then again Germany don't really have that problem I mean even if they do focus on defending um but Amy Germany take on Austria in the quarters as we have mentioned Jesse said no but do you think potentially this could be a high scoring match um I don't think that I don't think so, because I think Austria is so sort of good and well-drilled that they're not going to concede a lot. And I think if they concede one, their heads won't drop. And then I don't think that Germany are going to leak too many because they've just been so good. So I think it would be quite tight, maybe like a little bit like the England-Germany game, sort of like England-Germany, England-Austria game sort of thing. So because both kind of good defensively, both got good goalkeepers, um, both well-drilled. So, yeah. So basically a boring match is what you're saying. It might be, from a tactical perspective, if you're looking at it like that, I think it'd be like, you know, intriguing. And I think because it's a high stakes game and it's a knockout game, it's kind of like sat nicely and you're like, oh, any moment could change this. So that's my way of covering up for like the casual viewer. Yeah, it might be a little bit boring. No, I think I think Amy's right though. Once you get to the knockout stages, those kind of boring games feel different. Like I think Austria, England was boring because it was like, the opening game of the group and you wanted it to be all fireworks and stuff. And, and you also kind of knew that for either team, it wouldn't really define like as Austria showed, like it didn't losing, didn't have to define their whole, their whole group. But yeah, I think if, it, if it's nil nil also the Germany, as much as, you know, I think um, Austria do have a shot, like Germany go into this as overwhelming favorites. And so the casual view will be overwhelming favorites. So the longer it does go on like nil nil potentially, I think. The more the worst thing that could happen, I reckon, would be to like Germany to go like two nil up earlier on. That would be boring. Basically, I think yeah. Also, looking at the long term, if it does go into extra extra time or something, Germany do have the fresher legs to to kind of in maybe you know keep the same level, but also maybe increase in, in certain positions. Um, but next we have Sweden five, Portugal nil. The Swedes managed to get top of Group C and will play Belgium in the quarterfinals. Amy, this was the first match of the group stage that Sweden scored more than two goals in a match. Have they maybe been underperforming their expected goals, giving their attacking power? I think they've just kind of been growing into the tournament. I think they started with obviously the most difficult fixture um, and that I think caused there was a lot riding on that even from the start. Like it was, if you win this, you're probably going to top the group. So I think, you know, maybe that, that sort of, feeling of the game made it a little bit more cagey but I think they've just they've just not peaked too early they've just been good they got the results and 
yeah, I think they're just slowly growing into the tournament. Um, maybe the pressure as well has played a factor. I mean, we've all talked about Sweden so much that, you know, maybe that's got to them a little bit because they, they haven't had that before. But no, I think I think they're doing things just right and they're just kind of going along at the right pace. But we have got the um, the COVID cases, haven't we, with Sweden, where, you know, they might, well, the t- two lateral, three lateral flows, and they've gone for PCRs, so hopefully they're not, hopefully they're just false positives, but that could, depending on who that is, that could have some bearing going into the, the knockout. So I guess Belgium's probably the, a good fixture because it's probably the kindest knockout they could, um, of the of the lot, really. Yeah, it's where we were saying that out of, you know, all the quarterfinalists, Belgium would be kind of the bottom of the barrel in, in terms of kind of not going up against Germany Netherlands, for example, everything else, obviously Sweden and Netherlands can't go up against each other, but that was the first country that came into my mind. But Jesse, Sweden played a back four again for this match, this time with Magda Eriksson back at centre-back. So a positive change from the last four in the back. Are you still in favour of Sweden back three over this? Yeah, they're obviously kind of having to chop and change, aren't they, depending on on who's available and and, and stuff. And obviously they pushed Natalie Bjorn forward because I think Caroline Sega had a bit of a knock. Um, it was kind of hard to learn, I think, much about the back four versus back three from, from this Portugal game because it, this was just like such a write-off so early on. Um, I do like I, I will reiterate, I still like it. I think it suits, I think it suits their their wing backs. And I think again, um, you know, that potential of playing role four or something at, at a wing back would be like quite tasty. I think, especially maybe against a, a Belgian side who, you know, who showed against um France at least that they they can kind of defend well um you know I don't think I think even though Sweden obviously scored a lot of goals in this game it's hard to really feel like that means that their attacking stuff has clicked into gear because it was all just Portugal like refusing to defend uh, anything which you know I I kind of appreciate from a vibes perspective just being like I don't I can't be bothered to train for set pieces um you know I, I guess that's one way of uh, approaching a football tournament um so yeah I don't know I think I think the question still remains. I don't feel like Sweden have kind of clicked with with a starting at 11. And Amy, going off of that, Sweden could potentially be the best squad in this Euros overall, but it just does seem like they haven't clicked at all. Can you kind of put your finger on what's been missing? No, not really. I think, and I don't know if we'll really see it until... A potential semi-final because they kind of plodded along, got the results, got top spot. You know, you predict that they would beat Belgium. I feel like we're really writing Belgium off to hell here. So Belgium will probably end up winning that or something. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, like I say, there's not really a, a problem if you're if you're winning and getting through. Then that's all you've got to do, and you've just got to turn up for that big semi-final if they do get there against that big opponent and just, yeah, peak at the right times and that's how you win the tournament. Yeah, and I think it could be said the same for the Dutch who obviously came out second in this group um, just under Sweden, who won the last match 4-1 over Switzerland. Um, but it took an own goal for Anna-Maria Czernovic, I think I pronounced that one right. Um, I looked it up yesterday, but I think I forgot. Um, it was an own goal I mean, really bad header in the 49th minute to kickstart the Dutch 
the Dutch's goal scoring. She's been so disappointing. She's been very, very bad um, in this tournament. But the Dutch haven't really gotten into good rhythm at this tournament yet. Um, just like the Swedes, you know, they've, they've kind of just been going along, getting the results, and they're happy with getting through, but they know that they haven't been playing um, their best. Shaki Grunin went missing for one match due to COVID, and now Vivian Miedema hasn't come back yet, and there hasn't been confirmation whether she's going to be back for the quarterfinal or not. Um, so that's been quite a big concern, given that her replacement isn't necessarily living up to the same standards. But Jesse, what is it that the Netherlands are missing so far? I feel like it's hard because of the, the COVID stuff kind of means you haven't really got a chance to see their their best attacking play. And it's kind of frustrating, I guess, because it felt like in that second half against Sweden, Viv made waved her magic wand and fixed it all tactically and then got COVID. And so now we kind of don't get to see Viv play in the system that she was supposedly creating. Um, I think the Dutch's problem is that they always trying to fit too many like central players in to this and it's kind of weird I think that they've chosen to use Berenstein as the the nine when like she feels like the more obvious option to give them some natural width and then maybe looking to use Jill Rod in that position who I think's like been impressive when she's played there for Wolfsburg I also think Lika Martin still doesn't look quite right and you know obviously she came back really really late in the season and we saw when like Barcelona tried to use her in the Champions League final, it wasn't quite right. And it still doesn't feel like she's there yet. And I think that's again, tough on the Dutch when she's, she is one of their more natural wide players. Again, it, it feels like it's putting a lot of, of pressure on those central players to, to do different things. So yeah, I think, you know, Viv coming back will be really, really, really important for them. Just a slight importance there. Amy, as a fellow Esme Brutes fan, um, perhaps the Dutch are a side that don't use its youngest to the greatest potential. Do you think, you know, going to the knockout rounds with potential extra time and, and penalties, do you think that the Netherlands has a deeper bench than what people think? Yeah, I think in so many areas as well, because you even look at uh, Daphne van Domsla, like who's come in because Van Meenen now got injured and she's been possibly the goalkeeper of the tournament so far she's been absolutely outstanding and there's so much sort of potential on the bench that is yet to be unlocked because it you haven't seen it much on the international stage or it plays in not necessarily like a, a big league um so I think that there is a lot of potential to unlock and to bring those kind of players onto this big stage that are sort of fearless and kind of just want to enjoy and and show what they can do I think that's kind of a really dangerous thing but it just depends on how Mark Parsons uses that bench is he gonna you know like you say drop Alika Martins because she's not been playing so well and put in some Delias Nibrooks put in someone like Vicky Blobert like that could be quite a especially because they have a really tough court final you know is he gonna pick the most informal 11 or is he gonna you know someone like Lika Martins can turn up in the big game and change it like that so what's he gonna do sort of thing it'll be interesting you can't really drop Lika Martins can you I think that would just destroy him but obviously Netherlands face France in the quarterfinals and French drew 1-1 in their last group stage match against Iceland a first minute goal from Enbid Malad and a hundred and second minute 90 plus 12 minutes 
how did that make sense? I don't know. Uh, penalty equalizer from Dagny Brynjarsdottir. I don't know how to pronounce that clearly. Um, but Amy, again, how do you see France versus Netherlands going? Um, well, I think France's attack is like insane. And then you look at the Netherlands' defence and it's a little bit uncertain how good it is and how it's going to cope. And, you know, that's been like a lingering problem for even going back to, you know, the Olympics last summer was, you know, they were poor defensively. So to see players like Diani, like Cascarino, Baltimore, Mallard kind of coming up against that Netherlands defence, it's going to be a real, real test for them. And I think that that's going to be almost what decides the match, how they deal with that France attack. And Jesse, France not only made it out of the group, but they topped it, despite you saying that they might have not exited the group. Did they really over like outperform what you expected from them, or did they simply just perform to their abilities? I think at points they overperformed, yeah. That Italy game was wild um, and, and was very, very impressive. I think the other two group games have been have felt a bit more jittery and maybe more of what I expected from France. And I felt like, um, you know, that there were teams in this group who could kind of make them nervous. I think as it is, Italy and Iceland, who were the two teams I thought would like cause them pressure, were, were both kind of letdowns. And I think that kind of impacted that. But look we always knew that France's squad is like easily one of the most talented in in the competition that's never been the question right the question has been how does Diacre put it all together how does Diacre use those players you know we're now going to kind of get to see this with Kototo being out because that was an obvious pick um Melvin Malab played uh, in the Iceland game she looked really good I would still put so much money on Saar starting in the quarterfinals so and then that's the kind of thing where you're like, mm, this is what I was kind of worried about from, from a France perspective. But yeah, I think, you know, broadly, the, the players they, they have, have have played played really well. But I think, you know, there's still also the, the kind of centre-back pairings, a bit of a, a funny one with, it seems like she kind of prefers Jukara, but I don't know why you wouldn't play Mbok like it again makes makes no sense to me I think Wendy Renard looks you can net like every time I'm like Wendy Renard is done then she comes back and does something different but like uh, like she's not she's not had a great tournament put it that way so I think there's definitely like Netherlands can can get joy out of this French team I can definitely agree I can definitely agree that Wendy Renard um is one of those players that is just held on to in the starting lineup no matter what her form is um, which hasn't been the greatest. And I do agree that Mbok probably is my choice over Tunkara, at least. Um, but last match, talk about Italy. No, Belgium won. Obviously, Belgium went through. Um, just the one question. Amy and I obviously deleted our tweets prior to this recording, saying that we hyped up Italy in this tournament. Italy has disappointed a lot of us, I must say. It's not just us. But Amy, do you want to kind of try to explain what went so horribly wrong um well I sat in I went to this game yesterday and I sat in the press after um Bertolini kind of while she was like yeah the responsibility falls on me yada 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 she was like the the players aren't used to the intensity of a major tournament because Serie A is not that league yet 
and I and she was like, um, we're a mid-range team, not a top-class team. Juve would struggle to win in another country, all this kind of thing. And while she made really good points because she was like, we can't, because Italy's so like not there in its development yet. Like it, it's been behind Germany, Spain, England, so on. It kind of felt like, okay, this is, these are all valid points, but also like I didn't agree with some of the team selection. The team selection for that second game against Iceland where she dropped Girelli and Bonanza blew my mind because like at least leave one of them in because they can change the game. Um, the subs, like taking Girelli off yesterday when you need two goals in 10 minutes, even if she's not played great, that ball falls in the box, you can put it in the back of the net. I just And then she talked about the pressure and the expectation was too much from the outside and I don't know. I don't even know where to begin because it was kind of like, yeah, you've made a lot of valid points, but I also think that maybe the team selection could have been different, the subs could have been different. Maybe the, the team in general could have performed better, but I think that Belgium have been really solid, consistent, know what they're about, got their strengths, and they just stuck to that and capitalised on kind of the shortcomings of Italy and Iceland, who I think most people fancied ahead of Belgium in this group. So I think the general successful theme of this tournament is consistency, might we say. Um, but And finally, quickly to finish off, which quarterfinal are you guys looking forward to the most? Jesse, just one. Well, I mean, I think I think I should I should veto the the England Spain game. Yeah, for you. yeah. I mean, obviously England Spain. Like, I'm buzzing for it. Um, I'm sitting next to Alex, so that will be possibly tricky. Um, but yeah, from a footballing perspective, I think Netherlands France is the one that's like the most interesting matchup to me because I think that's that's the one where I like feel like I really can't can't call it between those two teams. That's fair, Amy. Yeah, I'd say the same because I think that it's kind of like the, a test of where the two are because they look, in, in on paper, I guess, they could be like contenders for the title with the quality they have. and But you look at some of the group stage performances and you're like, are they really? And then this is where it's going to, I think we're going to find out. That is fair. I think it's going to be quite interesting. Um, but yes, this is it for our... Euros episodes, a little roundup of the group stages, and obviously we'll be back uh, for the quarterfinals. But thank you very much to our guest, Amy. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Ruskai. We'll tag her on, on our Twitter when we release the episode. Um, she does really good articles on up-and-coming talents, Esme Brutes for the win, um, as well as really interesting interviews with top players and managers around Europe um, for a bit of a different kind of feel to, to regular football journalism. Um, so make sure you go follow her. But we'll be back with another episode after the quarterfinals wrap-up, which is on Saturday, July 23rd. So maybe an, an early Sunday morning start for us the next day. Um, but make sure you're following us up on Twitter at box to box wsl Obviously, we've rebranded for the summer, uh, box to box Euros now. Um, but keep up to date on there with every episode released. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>